Hello, welcome to Life's Difficult, a podcast where we discuss the many challenging aspects of modern life and our solutions to them. I'm Mikhail, and as always, I'm joined by my conversation partner, Milos. How's it going, man? Pretty good. I'm uh, super excited for this one. This is going to be probably one of the the best episodes I think we'll ever do, so do you want to go ahead and introduce it? Yeah, I feel like we've been discussing a bunch of serious stuff, and which always somehow goes down a dark tunnel at some point. Whereas with this, I think we can just have like a fun podcast. But let's see, there's always a chance of some... Oh, I, I, we're going to go dark with this one for Some sure. route down to a nihilistic <laughs> pit. But uh, yeah, so this week we're discussing the, dif- the difficulty with films or movies. And uh, yeah, this whole podcast series is a dif- difficulty with... So yeah, there, there are many, many great things about movies, but we're discussing... Uh, the problems we have, I guess, with with film, especially in the in the modern age. Um, actually, just I would say a year or two ago, Martin Scorsese came out, and he um, he made he distinguished cinema and content, um, and it was really interesting because it got a lot of backlash because it was within the context of him not even necessarily being that critical. But making a comment about, you know, the Marvel films, the MCU. <laughs> Thank God someone said it. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I, I, I enjoy the MCU, but I, I, I wasn't upset by his comments because I also enjoy, you know, art house cinema and foreign cinema. And so um, I do think I'm a bit strange that way in that I will equally, or not equally, but like I'll, I'll have an appreciation for a comic book film or a blockbuster and then I'll also have appreciation for some obscure Soviet film from the 70s you know so it uh, but going back to what he was saying he was basically calling comic book films and maybe more particularly the MCU kind of like team rides mm-hmm. and he said so you can have a lot of fun on them um, there's value in that but it's not cinema the way he understands it. There's, there's not um, that kind of, this is not his words, but kind of that nourishment for your soul mm-hmm. in that like you're really going on a per- meaningful journey mm-hmm. through, through, through the medium of film. It's much more, you know what's going to happen. You know that the superhero is going to prevail. You, you, in, in some ways... Don't give it away, Mikhail. What if they haven't seen Infinity War? You know, Gosh. What? the funny thing is, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't think I'm spoiling that movie for anybody, but that's a film. I know, right? At this <laughs> point, it's been out for years. I'm sure you've heard about but, it. Funny enough, that film does not end with the heroes winning, so. Oh, is it the other one? Actually, sorry, I don't know. I've been, I've, spoiler alert, I haven't watched that, one, so I don't I, know. I mean, uh, I don't think we have to spoiler alert the most watched films ever. That's and, true. And if we do, well, we apologize to the few of you that haven't seen them. To the seven them, people who haven't seen no, but it, if, I'm sorry. But if you haven't seen them, I assume you don't care. That's why. That's yeah. fair, yeah. Anyway, uh, that aside, I think the, the, the greater comment on cinema is of value. Even if he's... he's if anything, he's, it's, it's more that he's laying out a spectrum, I would say. Because there are MCU films that, for me, do fall into cinema. There are films that are actually a bit more tragic. And again, within the whole greater universe... Maybe, uh, uh, um, 
I, I think we can say over across the universe, his criticism works because eventually the heroes will prevail. Mm-hmm. But within an individual film, um, something pretty tragic or pretty shocking can happen. And so on that spectrum of, you know, pure cinema versus content, it's probably closer than towards cinema. Nonetheless, I, I do think just by the sort of commodification of everything, the commercialization of everything, you know, late stage capitalism has certain byproducts and this is not a criticism or a, a, a this is me going neither, it's not making a positive or negative comment on late stage mm-hmm. capitalism. It's kind of what it is. It just, yeah, it's just a natural byproduct. And so there are more films being produced than ever and studios want to make as much money uh, as uh, more than ever. And basically post mid 70s, the blockbuster came into existence, right? Mm-hmm. People point to Jaws. And ever since then, now there's been, there's been a bigger and bigger blockbuster cycle. Before, it used to be like a summer event. Then it became a summer and winter event. Now it's summer... Techni- which, uh, this movie summer season technically starts in spring, but they still yeah. call it like the summer season. It goes on until probably fall, and then yeah. winter comes. So uh, there are more blockbusters than ever. There are more you know, popcorn films than ever. So, well, let me throw it to you. Is that a problem for you? I mean, so I have to, I have to admit it here. I am a, I'm a weird person in that I love movies, but I'm very picky and I don't watch too many. And when it comes to new movies, I've, very, I've, I've been watching about a movie a year of new releases since about 2015, I'd say. Maybe, maybe like, in theaters. I, I watch, you, you catch more movies. But I think what's interesting about the cinema to content thing is, um, and sorry, I, you asked me a, you asked me a question, but I wanted to just take it. Yeah, no, just, just is, um, ignore me completely, please. <laughs> this will make the podcast better. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm sorry, I had a brain fart in the exact way that you worded it. But the concept of like cinema as nourishment for the soul versus um, versus uh, like content or versus these movies, I think. It's something to be said. Where it's like it's. I don't think it's necessarily the blockbuster that's the issue. I think what Scorsese is, is saying in that, and I think what a lot of people are noticing, is this concept of movies no longer pushing the boundaries in the way that they used to. So now, I mean, you do have occasionally the movies that are meant to push the boundaries, but so I, I would say actually, I would actually go off and say, you more often these days see boundary pushing things in. A, in, a, in a mainstream medium in shows right. and what you see on streaming services versus movies, I think they've almost, they're suffering. Like, you're right. I, I don't know about late stage capitalism. I don't, I don't understand enough about that concept to really say if that's the case, but I can tell you that in terms of what I see in movies, the blockbuster and the massive investment that these movies have created, we've definitely seen in the last 10 to 15 years, has created studios that are very gun shy to produce new content. If you really think about it, what like most of the like not maybe not most but a huge significant portion of the movies that get the majority of the attention that we see are franchises, yeah. are offshots of con- or franchises or content that is being re- re- remade for the film. So it's a successful book. It's a successful um, maybe it's I don't know if it's a successful show. That one's not as often, but usually it's it's some source material that already has a huge right, following. Right. So I understand where they're coming, like the comic books, right? And I understand where they're coming from with this idea of like cinema. It's like 
I don't know about nourishment for the soul, but definitely they're, I think they used to have more balls in what they, they put out. Now it's like if it's not guaranteed to make money, there is a, there's a much lesser chance that you'll see it in your Cineplex Odeon. Or your whatever, uh, what are the major AMC? It's a very or, Canadian thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's like the most Canadian one. What's like the American? Yeah, version? AMC. Let's say AMC. AMC. AMC yeah. is over there. Yeah. So you're not going to see it in your local theater, and I think that's really a shame because I mean, you're somebody who I know exposes himself to tons of movies from all. You're always telling me about movies. I remember you, you talking about what was it, Le Titan or Titan or something? Yeah. That was a crazy. You told me about that movie. Then I read an article about the craziest French movies, and I'm like, wait a minute. Mikhail told me about this movie already. This is old news. And it's like, you exposed yourself to that cinema. But I think for a lot of us, me included to an extent, because it's gone the content route, we're much less likely to see something new, exciting, provocative that really pushes the boundaries. We're going to see another James Bond movie. We're going to see Lord of the Rings for the ninth time. And now we're going to do some, I don't know, some sub book that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote 300 years ago. I don't know. Stuff like that. You know, like it's, it's. That's I, so I do agree with that that criticism of of the movie industry at the moment. Yeah, and I suppose you could go further, right? I said there's a spectrum, but I actually didn't properly lay out the furthest end of that uh, content spectrum, and it's just the cynical, com- made by committee commercial <sighs> endeavor that just everything is God, safe. I hate those. Everything is like uh, when I say an agenda, I'm not talking about necessarily like meaningful politics right mm-hmm. i mean like the most cynical way to use whatever performative aspect of politics to try to like get some demographic mm-hmm. you know on your side just the, the cheapest kind of stuff um that's being made more more than ever that yeah. i'm very comfortable saying oh yeah those are um, those are huge you see it in movies like uh, one of the biggest examples of this that really bugged the hell out of me was um I'm a huge video gamer. I'm a gamer nerd, and I've been playing like computer games since I was a kid. Yeah. So when I heard there was a Warcraft movie coming out, oh, yeah, I was like, from... I'm so down for this. And they threw the fans so many bones, and I loved it. But my God, they gave us the like, they just they put in the, they put in so many things into the story that were superfluous. Nobody cared. They just added a random bunch of love interests for this main orc girl. Who's not? She's not really in any of the like. She's not in any of the the the, the game. She's it, not in anything. They just threw her in because they're like, we need something for women, and the assumption is, romance gets the women, and it's it was so obviously written into the movie that didn't need it at all. Yeah. Um, if I'm not, I so I I've seen that film. I don't know much about Warcraft, but by the end, it almost seemed like a prequel, right? Oh, they As were opposed setting to it up. Yeah. like a proper. First well, film, like it almost seemed like it was just a setup film for yeah for the real world. And to be fair, that was a bit of a prequel because if I remember correctly, that was I mean in pl- in terms of playing the video games, I'm pretty sure what happened there is like the prequel to the beginnings of Warcraft Two. I want to say, but I, I, mm. I that could be wrong. There's going to be someone who's going to correct me because I haven't played the campaigns of those games in a long time. But there was some really cool storytelling happening in the Warcraft games, and uh, they definitely threw us a lot of bones. Yeah. in the movie which I think a lot of people liked also uh, that that director Duncan Jones is is quite talented now I think he's kind of fallen off but he made Moon I don't know if you're familiar with that film but it's this very small sci-fi film that was quite quite good like I was expecting him to become a actually 
not only did he moon, do Moon, I think he also did Source Code. So he actually made a couple of like mm-hmm. pretty decent films. I'm not saying yeah. Greatest well, they, film. They, they got a good guy to do it. That was a multi million dollar movie. That that dude, that movie raked in the money in China. Yeah. Oh my the god, issue Warcraft is it didn't was make huge. money anywhere else. And yeah. Because. Um, but I think that was also part of it. Is I think it was written more for. I think it might have been written more for the Chinese audience because they knew where they were going to make the most money. But again, that goes back to the whole committee aspect of things. Mm-hmm. Of there's always an agenda in mind and it's not about a political agenda but there's a money agenda is what i'm saying and it's how how can we contort things to appeal to this demographic or this country or this whatever and so can you call that art in the same way you can call you know somebody's personal passion project that they get off the ground like a real auteur who sees it through start from finish Mm -hmm. with his own like very unique perspective I don't think so. And so, you know, I, I, I think there is a portion of people who've just disconnected with cinema or they've looked down upon it in certain ways because they just think that it's a kind of almost lesser medium compared to maybe literature. Yeah. But again, like the, these distinctions exist across all mediums because then within, within the written word, you know, um, you've got genre and you've got literature. Mm-hmm. And then the distinctions get fuzzy there because, like, is, I don't know, a classic, like, Frankenstein literature, but it's kind of sci-fi and horror. Yeah. Or, you And know, even another version of that is, you know, some people look down on the, the trade paperbacks. Right. Oh, you're reading another Dan Brown book? I'll tell you what happens. They find out that everything is a conspiracy and then the good guy wins. Right. You know? Yeah. And so we were sick of that, but it's like, hey, he makes, he makes some pretty good books. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, again, like, I don't want this podcast to become a matter of snobbery as much as it's actually trying to... I thought that was the point. I was getting ready. Okay, now I got to erase some of my points. You know what? (laughs) If you want to go down that route, I'll go down (laughs) right there with you. But, yeah, seriously speaking, it's not about, like, demeaning anybody's taste in film or something. Mm -hmm. It's literally just... I think it's useful to at least be able to... to be able to spot when you see this kind of commercial zombie product. Um, and if you still like it, well, you know, good for you. Well, I mean, you're supposed to like it. It's built for you to like it. But I think the difference is that it's not going to be... It. There is something like... I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. There's something personal about going to see a film that you know was some some somebody's dream to show you exactly this. You know what I mean? And And... And it sucks that in many of the major genres, we don't see this. I actually, so funny note, I think of the movies that I've seen in theaters, the ones that have been the best recently have actually been in the horror genre. And largely it's because horror is not a genre where you can, you can't do paint by numbers in horror. It just never really worked. And there's, it it doesn't work the same way. You can't just decide we need this many jump scares and then Uh, this many this. So here's, I'll I'll agree or uh, yeah i'll agree halfway mm-hmm. look there's a lot of horror that is paint by numbers where it's literally just shoving as many jump scares as possible and honestly i would say the average horror viewer likes that they just want to be shocked yes um however what i will say is horror is a great medium to do more interesting things because weirdness and fear kind of meld you know well together yeah two they can be done for very cheap you don't need to you don't need some crazy effects it can just mm-hmm. be a person in a forest and that's terrifying yeah. and three 
there's a rise of you know certain smallerish studios like I think A twenty four. did I'm pretty sure they did like Midsommar and oh, I love Midsommar and so all. much. So Such a great movie. So yeah, it's it's horror is one of those uh, genres that push the boundaries much more often and actually can hit a mainstream audience. I think it's because in, in horror, you need novelty. If you keep seeing vampires, you're not going to be scared of vampires. Right. You know, right. If you keep seeing zombies, you're not going to be... There's only so many ways we can show you a zombie before you're like, okay, I get it. You know, you got to create some new thing. You got to create some new boogeyman. You got to create some new version of it. And I think that really drives like some level of increased storytelling there. Like I even think heredit hereditary... Hereditary. Her her hereditary. That was a weird movie. It, went, it took... Same with Midsummer. Both of those movies, I absolutely love them. Same director, and they take so many twists and turns where you're just like, "Okay, no, what what the hell am I watching now?" Because this is not what I thought it was going to happen. So yeah. I think I love them for that. I love that they do that. But I think, you know, this is kind of like in the same in the same vein. I think you want to talk about like Oscars and 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 the film judging circuit. You know, back in the day, I used to I don't watch too many Oscar nominees, but I remember there was always a couple of strong dramatic movies that would always talk to something they, they would always have that you know high stakes in in intense human drama it's not about right, you fighting right. the, you know you're not fighting a demon you're not fighting a monster you're not a superhero you're like a regular person being pushed to the edges because of some terrible experience whether it was through um you know whether it's through things happening to you or because you you were in some high stakes job like a police officer or whatever um these were these were always the movies that kind of hit big and I think personally I don't know I haven't watched as many dramas recently but the dramas that have been advertised to me I think that's the genre that has definitely suffered the most from the content versus cinema revolution because I don't I, again in I'm, I'm not as well versed in movies as you are but the stuff that I see going into theaters there is not much compelling drama these days whereas I feel like there used to be a lot more yeah so I'll take a bigger uh, perspective for a moment Hollywood has gone through many different um, iterations, right? So, you know, if you go like 30s and 40s and so, you've got like this kind of golden age Hollywood where, you know, we had a very different sense of propriety back then and mm -hmm. morals and all that stuff. So in some ways it seems quite safe if you look back. But there's actually still like quite a few interesting smart films made um, during that period. Then um, there was a couple decades span, uh, span which was interesting because of something called the Hays Code, mm -hmm. where they start to censor films. Um, and so they couldn't be excessive like sex or violence or anything. It was just very, very... And so you, you saw lots of interesting ways directors had to get around showing certain things. I think the famous example um, was like two people are in a train and they start kissing and then the train goes through a tunnel. And, you know, that one had the first time I saw that as an example, someone had to explain it to me because I just it, I'm so out of it to think, oh, wait, that's sex. But at first I'm just like, OK, their train is I, I, my thought was like, oh, they're going through a dark tunnel. They're experiencing darkness. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, those metaphors are definitely lost on some of us simpletons like me. <laughs> but um, then around the late 60s and then through through the 70s was this, I think it's the movement's literally just called New Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And that was a very, very good period for Hollywood because that's when you've got like your 
revisionist westerns and your gangster films, right? You think of the two Godfather films. You think mm-hmm. of some of Scorsese's work back then. Um, you 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 just th- you think of lots of like crime thrillers. You know the the, the sort of rise of De Niro and 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 Al Pacino and um, Robert Redford and like really really strong like aggressively subversive films. Mm-hmm. And I just I think we re- recaptured some of that in the '90s maybe with Tarantino and maybe Robert Rodriguez and a few other directors, obviously not, not maybe quite of the same caliber as some of those 70s directors, but yeah, it's, 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 it's just been strange. Um, where you, in, in many ways it is maybe the, the byproduct of the superhero genre, just it's such a reliable uh, a source of money. Mm-hmm. It's huge. It's huge right now. That it's just sucked a lot of oxygen out of the air for, for other films. Um, but in another sense, it's, if if not those comic book films, it would be something else. Because it would just be whatever is safe, right? Because besides comic books, like you said, it's reboots, remakes, reimaginings, mm-hmm. yeah. sequels, prequels, midquels. Like it's a whole <laughs> range of just like regurgitating the same stuff because it's safe. Yeah. Um. And so that, like, sense of 70s adventure is just gone. It really, really is gone, and that's a shame. And, and that's why um, when we're talking about the uh, Oscars, I think reliably it's not the, the whatever wins Best Picture is not anywhere close to the best big actual film that came out this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're going to find many more interesting films on the film festival circuit, right? Like Venice and Cannes and the Toronto Film Festival all these places and you you want to see what uh movies are in competition there and what are winning awards there like i'll i get much more excited each year for the Cannes film festival and what's going to win the palm d'or and the grand prix etc versus Mm -hmm. the oscars is is like i'll i'll watch it just because i watch a lot of film generally but Mm -hmm. it does not have that same level of excitement like let's even look at this past year um I've enjoyed some of these films that I'm sure are going to go on to become Oscar nominees uh, like Belfast or King Richard or whatever but Mm -hmm. like you said Titan or you know Titanium that won the Palme d'Or now I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that's necessarily a better film than the films I just mentioned but that's definitely pushing the boundaries a lot more yeah that, that, that you have no idea where that film is going at any point in that film it'll keep messing with your expectations mm-hmm. i'm excited watching a Cannes uh, uh movie even if i don't end up liking it i'm just like this is different this isn't this is actually playing with the form of cinema this is actually trying to push boundaries and change your your the possibilities of this medium versus the oscars it's very very comfortably within conventions and then just trying to have actors act the best po- you know, the yeah. way they possibly can within those mediums. And so you still get great performances. You still get very compelling films, no doubt about it. And, you know, sometimes they do get it right. Like when Parasite won. Um, oh, that was a great movie. Yeah, that was an example was of, absolutely great. of a, a compelling, <clears throat> you know, foreign, smaller kind of film mm-hmm. breaking through. So it does happen. But, yeah, I, I, I guess... Um, Insofar as there is difficulty with movies, I would say it's that 
if you're an actual cinephile, if you're really, are, you know, you're, you're listening to this and you love films, I would really, really implore you, don't get stuck in, in, in this kind of habit that I see, you know, on YouTube and uh, YouTube reviewers and stuff where it's like, get excited about the next Star Wars or MCU film, oh, man, yeah. get excited for the next blockbuster, and then besides that, you know, you'll watch a Nolan film or, or a Scorsese film or a Spielberg film, and again, this is not disparaging any of the any of these films or any of these filmmakers. It's just obvious and safe. And then at the end of the year, you get excited for the Oscar buzz, and you watch your, you know, five to ten nominees, and mm. you think that's the best cinema has to offer. And maybe you you watch one or two foreign films, and you're like, oh wow, that's very interesting. But no, but like in actuality, there are just as many, if not more, great foreign films because that's the rest of the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> Right, like obviously Hollywood is is a pro- very powerful institution, and so it's producing probably more content than most places outside of India. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the type of interesting smaller boundary pushing films that are being produced elsewhere are really really worthwhile, and a lot of them are in the U.S. They just don't get you know, you know recognition in the U.S. Yeah, but like. Um, it's 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 a shame when a medium actually has so much more off so much more to offer and people don't even realize. I think um, personally, I, I in the last few years I've really upped my kind of m- movie intake basically, mm-hmm. and it has helped me realize that like some of the best films don't have to be fun; they don't even have to be enjoyable. But after the fact... That, that it, blows my mind. It doesn't have to be enjoyable. <laughs> well, it, it, it's... Although so, I think I can't think of some examples of, like, movies where I was like, I didn't enjoy that, but damn, I'm glad I watched it once. Yeah, and it... Well, it's, it's even, like, if you think of really good literature, um, I don't know, like, if, if you get through something like The Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy, I would be shocked if somebody reads that for the first time and just like, yeah, this is just easy breezy reading, and, uh, you know, it's... It's such a difficult thing to get through. Mm-hmm. And even at the end, you might not fully understand what the hell has happened. But then you engage with the work. You think about it. You read discussion posts on it. You watch analysis videos on it. I, I, I don't see any reason why you should have a firm opinion on, the, on, on a, a piece of art, whether it's film or a book, the moment you're done with it. Mm-hmm. Engage with it. Get other people's help with it. There's nothing wrong. Like It's not like oh, this has to be my independent view. Like, no. Lots of people who are much smarter than you have been dealing with, engaging with great literary works for decades of their life. Mm-hmm. Lean on them and get more context about, about this Yeah, novel get a second this. opinion. Yeah, and if you do that, you'll, your, your appreciation for work will grow so much and it'll stick with you. Whereas, like, that fun film that you had, you know, that, that was a breeze to get through, it, it'll stay with you as long as the next fun film pops up and then it's kind of wiped clean, right? And, there, you know, obviously there are exceptions, but... Uh, and and I'm, not, I'm also not saying that watch one of these sort of, like, heavier films every time around. I'm just mm-hmm. saying it should be available to you, right? Give it a shot almost. Like, a lot of people aren't aware... Of how much, and again, to be fair, before you and I talked about this, I was completely unaware of how much filmmaking actually happens. I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize. Is right. If you're not exposed to it through the cinema circuit, if you're not exposed to it through Netflix or whatever, Prime or whatever, 
you're not you may not be exposed to it, period. Yeah. There's so many movies that don't make it to streaming services. That's like that's how most people between that and cinema, that's how most people are intaking their movies. And I think um, two years ago, or it might have been three, God, I don't even know what, what year we're in anymore. Um, I went to I went to TIFF, I went to Toronto International Film Festival. Yeah. And I got a bunch of tickets for a bunch of movies. And I have to be honest with you. I saw I think eight or nine movies. I hated seven or eight of them. <laughs> I didn't hate them, but they were just like I mean, and again, it's exactly what you said. It was it was very interesting to see these movies. It was very strange. It was very I remember there was one movie from China about these gangsters and the trailer showed this one amazing scene that was crazy. It was like some dudes, I don't know what the, the storyline, I can't remember the storyline. The storyline is like these guys are stealing bikes and then one crew steals bikes, one, not bikes, like scooters. One, one crew steals too many scooters or something. So the crew comes after them and there's this wicked scene where this guy's driving his scooter and you don't, and like you see the audience, there's a little bit of fishing line coming up ahead, put on the road. And he just rides through and his head gets clean off. And we were oh, like, whoa, wow. this is such a violent, cool movie. Dude, that one scene was the only good scene in that entire freaking movie. <laughs> Artistically, there were some parts that I liked. It was Chinese, so it was, built, it was filmed with their kind of viewpoint of things. But it was also like, again, uh, the Chinese have a hard censor where in every movie, the criminal must get caught and must get his comeuppance. There's absolutely no like, right, right. There's, there's, no, there's no freedom there. So it's like, yeah. By the, it, so the whole movie was just, instead of it like being like a crime thriller where you think like, oh, you kind of get sympathetic with the bad guy and he runs away and he almost gets away and whatever. No, it's just the movie of a guy basically hiding and like, his getaways are like really, really obvious and like take a long time ahead of the cops getting there to get away. And then at the end, they just catch him and that's it. And I was just like, this, this did not need to take two and a half hours of my life. But I was grateful for, <laughs> I was grateful for going because, you know, the, these movies are, they were so strange. And again, I didn't, I did not like, the, of all the movies that I saw, the only one that I would see again, and I told you about this one, I forget what it's called. I think it's called Deerskin. It's a French movie about a guy that falls in love with a jacket. Mm-hmm. And it's just wild. It's it's wildly like it's dark, it's strange, it's weird. It has the it it it, it takes its ending from Monty Python in a lot of ways. It's just this book is just, I mean not this book. This movie is absolutely amazing. It was so much fun and it's short too. I don't think it's 90 minutes to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, like you have you have things like that and and I was so grateful to go because, you know, you expose yourself to these new movies and you get to see how you know it's i think to a lot of people independent movies or or the the film festival movie circuit is intimidating because you feel like you have to be this like you almost feel like you have to be like a cinephile you have to be almost snobby to understand it right and it's like you know what no you can just go you can understand it fully and it could still be a cool experience take you through something you didn't think you were going to think about but be like okay but that's that's stupid (laughs) that's a dumb movie well well so what i'll say there I'm not necessarily um, advocating for going in blind. That's true too. I did a lot of that, and that was I just watched the trailers, and that's not uh, clearly not the best. So, way to funnily go. enough, I never watch trailers anymore. I barely even read plot synopsis or anything. So, how so, do you spot the winners? So, I do go in blind in the sense like I want to know as little as possible about mm-hmm. something because I feel that gives you the best experience. Not this is just me personally talking, but mm-hmm. um, in terms of how I can still be fairly confident I'm watching something good is because you you develop it, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you start hearing about the directors that are continuously getting acclaim in these film festivals who have won some awards, who've 
you know, or may, maybe you like a certain sort of film and then you go on Reddit and they tell you, here's another director who, who also, you know, directs in a similar way. So you keep kind of building up your movie diet and your preferences. And by the end, like, I already knew, like, with, with like, this last year's Cannes, oh, Asghar Farhadi, that's an amazing Irani director. I want mm -hmm. to watch his film. Jula de Corno, she made uh, uh, a very provocative uh, horror, body horror film called Raw. And now she's making Titan, right? And, and so on and so forth. So I could just pinpoint these directors that had already watched their films before, at least heard a fair bit about, or they'd won a Palme d'Or or Grand Prix or something in the past. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't need to know much more than that. I waited until the cans happened. I saw kind of where they placed in terms of like the awards and stuff. And then I watched those films accordingly. Now, if I was actually in Cannes, it might have been a bit different. But even then, OK, I wouldn't have had the time uh, or the opportunity to uh, await the award winners because I would have then not seen any of the films. But then I would just have gone by reputation. And that's not a bad way to go. Like. Mm -hmm you know reliable actors, you know reliable directors. Occasionally you'll get it wrong, but more often than not, you know, you want to see those films. Yeah, that's true. And to be fair, the one reliable actor who I did want to see, I gave that ticket away to somebody else <laughs> because they wanted to go see it with their mom. And I'm like, all right, you can have my ticket. And it turned out to be the best movie there. And it's so funny because it's one of the actors who I think is one of the worst actors in the world, but I love him to death. Um, oh God, I can't remember his name now. He's a guy from uh, Dukes of, uh, not Dukes, uh, Sons of Anarchy. Um, Charlie Hunnam? Charlie Hunnam. God damn, he's a terrible actor, but my God, do I love him in everything he's in. <laughs> he, yeah, I don't he's, think he's a terrible he's actor. He's not terrible. He's, he's just, he's, he's, he's serviceable. In a lot, well, and, and to be fair, he's like the best kind of terrible. To me, he's like, he's almost Nicolas Cage tier, where it's like... Oh, no. No, not, not, not in like, not in, in legendary status, but in the status of like, sometimes Nicolas Cage is just... Nicholas Cage. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's with Charlie Hunnam. Charlie Hunnam is just Charlie Hunnam. And I love him for it. And I'll always, I, I not, maybe not always, but, you know, he, he's one of those people who caught my heart early. And um, I think I'm always going to want to go see his movies and just be like, you know, what is he stuff? So that's true. You're right. Following actors that you like, following directors that you like. And being open to it, I think, is a huge yeah, part of it. Yeah, and, and, and again, like, work your way into it. Again, if you care. If you don't care, then... Fine. Content. Just, then, then con no, go watch but, another MCU movie, you scrub. Or, 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 or not even content, but then yeah, fine. Like the, the Oscar Beatty films, which is fine. Mm -hmm. Like I still think they're decent films, but like, you know, let let's say you don't like subtitles. Um, so okay, maybe you limit your exposure to foreign films. I think that's unfortunate. That but sucks. There's some great foreign films. Indeed, but what I'm saying is, <laughs> what I'm saying is, so I had a real reaction to that. I was like, "Dude, that's terrible." Yeah, I mean, that, that, that might be the majority of the films I watch. So yeah, but <laughs> what I'm saying is, then um, you know, watch indie films out, out of English-speaking countries, mm -hmm. and then maybe just once every, you know, four or five films, sit down, make the effort, and watch a subtitled mm -hmm. movie. And like with anything, it really comes down to discipline. And, and nobody wants to hear that in relation to films. I get it. Yeah. But I just think with, with all, almost any activity, it's, it's enhanced by putting a bit of work into it. Again, this sounds so <laughs> awful, but I, I just want to make... He's going to say put elbow grease into sex. I want to make the point that this is true of everything. So I'm, not use, I'm using this 
in a particular way. So I'm mm-hmm. not using work as a negative term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just saying like you have to put effort into whatever. You have to it engage might. with it. You have to you have to you have to take some time to actually, you know. Yeah, you're right. It, it takes some effort. It's not negative effort. Like if you think about it, when you play a video game. You're putting in a lot of effort and time to get good at the video game. You're yeah, not, that's like, a it's form not... of work. Exactly. And the same thing is true of like a relationship. You might be perfectly matched. You still have to put work in to make the relationship function. And you know, go go down the line. You play a sport. You're not going to just suddenly be shooting three pointers in basketball. You have to spend some time on the court and get there. So I'm just advocating a similar sort of approach that like obviously you should get great enjoyment out of films. And down the line, reading subtitles will be a breeze, and um, even these like three R art house behemoths out of Russia, which which are slow cinema, where they're only you know each scene, uh, the camera doesn't move and it's it goes on for like fifteen minutes uncut. You'll even grow to enjoy and appreciate all of that. So it's it's I'm not saying discipline forever and work forever, but. To get you to a point that you can get greater appreciation and you can have a wider diet of, of, and again, of movies, this can be true of books, this can be true of whatever you pursue. It's just almost a general heuristic in terms of how you go about it. But um, Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, with all that said, I mean, I think in some ways I've been dragging this conversation about a film. It's been enjoyable, yeah. but, But like... Is there something, is there a direction you want to go with this? I do, but I want to ask you something that just came to my mind. What are your thoughts on watching, like, movies that are known to be absolutely reviled for how bad they are? Do you have, (laughs) because I'm just thinking, one of my favorite movies that I saw in theaters in the last five years was The Disaster Artist which is a remake of people making one of the worst movies. You, you must not, know about The Room. It's not a remake. It's, I'm sorry, it's not a remake. It's a story about... The Room. The, it's a story about The Room. So how, my, have you watched The Room? What are your thoughts on The Room? Do you love it? Do you hate it? What, what, what do you think about these garbage, like, not garbage cinema to be rude, but to be like, yeah. these are some of the worst things that ever get popular in cinema. So yes, I, I have seen The Room. Um, how many stars? I have five. It's 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 not a starable film. <laughs> it's a zero. But I I I I've watched it a few times actually. Yes, me too. And I enjoyed it more and more. Oh, Mark, <laughs> you're my best friend. But again, I, th- this is where it's interesting because we're not talking about run of the mill mediocrity. Oh that, no, that's we're talking, much yeah. more f- offensive to me. Mm-hmm. Or, or, yeah. or or again, the cynical committee film one thing we can say about that is to quite often again it's not always the case but quite often the direction is not offensively bad the acting is adequate mm-hmm. there are action scenes there's basic plot and structure mm-hmm. so it has no soul it's a life yeah. it's like it's a husk that's being delivered to you and so that's frustrating and it's you get nothing from it you can take something from the room because it's such a <laughs> It's, it's epic. <laughs> it, it's it's it, it is in is in its own way like a passion project. It just was made by somebody who was thoroughly misguided. Somebody who's and m- maybe that's wrong to say because it's brought him success in a roundabout way. But mm-hmm. at least misguided about film, right? Like the I don't know if you know this, but that 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 part where he says you're tearing me apart, Lisa. Mm-hmm. That's from um, uh, Rebel Without a Cause. That's, he's trying to do James the, Dean. The, it's this, he, she, except for him, it's Stella, right? 
Stella, yeah. You can't be part of Stella, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something like that, yeah. But, but uh, generally, like, he's trying to do his James Dean. Yeah. Right? He, he, uh, I, uh, there's more thought put into it. There's a lot more thought. There's more, like, there's more heart in that movie. Like you said, it's like those, those other movies, they're, they're pretty. They're beautiful. They're, my worst, my absolute worst, at least what I think the worst was the, um, the worst culprits of that whole content and creating um, movies by committee for me was the Transformers franchise after the first one. Yeah. Because the first Transformers movie was Shia LaBeouf and it, I think it was Megan, Megan Fox. Fox at that yeah. point. Yeah. That movie... Michael Bay directed. That movie took something that I thought we would never see well done and made it so amazing and got me so excited and then when they released the next two, I wanted to find my... I, I think the last one was with Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. I was like, I can't... I love Mark, Mark Wahlberg and I can't watch him in another movie because I'm so offended <laughs> of how bad that was. Well, so... I don't Not know bad if... though, but you, exactly what you said, soulless, yeah. soulless, missing, missing the real points of what the hell we're going into the yeah. theater for. Again, I, I, I didn't think Transformers One was amazing, but it had, it had, it was fun. I think that's what I'd say. It was a fun film. I think right? I loved it because it was so surprising. I was expecting garbage, and it gave me a seven point five out of ten. And back then, that was like an eight point five out of ten. So I was like, wow, like this is really right. impressive. Yeah, and again, uh, the thing is, the first three films, or I think, no, I think all four films um, before now they've had this offshoot with Bumblebee, which is actually meant to be a decent film. I haven't watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all Michael Bay, right? So it just goes to show like that hazy line between uh, content and, and, and otherwise because... And a paycheck. <laughs> well, so, oh, look, Michael Bay is a bit notorious for just making over-the-top blockbuster films mm-hmm. without too much more he, to he, them. He did, he did Avatar or somebody else did Avatar? The no, original. no, that, that, that's James Cameron. That's James Cameron. Sorry, I'm getting mixed up. Yeah. James Cameron is also in the blockbuster mold, but, yes, but exactly, I'd say yeah. a bit more elevated blockbuster, right? Because he mm-hmm. did Titanic and he did uh, Terminator yeah. 1 and 2 and, and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, he, he's... He's definitely a blockbuster director, but with with a certain level of regard, whereas Michael Bay does not have that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so just going back to the room, I don't even want to go so far as to say like you know this was with real heart and this is a real. It was a really, really as bad as a film can be film. Mm-hmm. I just mean to say is that what I'm getting at is there's at least a point of interest in that. How do you go about making this film? Is this parody, or did he really mean that? Right, like you're, and and then then like eventually when you figure it out, it just especially I think for me it wasn't in the first viewing, it was in the second viewing where it's like okay this is hilarious, mm-hmm. right? So there's something to it. So again, I wouldn't rate the film like rating it out of ten doesn't even make sense. Yeah. It's a zero. It's it's it's, yeah. a, it's barely constitutes film, but like, <laughs> but it's it's still interesting. Yeah. Whereas you know many many films that are released with 100 million dollar budgets uh, frankly 100, 100 million is not even what it once was now it's you know 150 and 200 million dollar budgets mm-hmm. that just they do nothing for me i watch it and it just it's wiped out of my mind by the next day whereas the room will stay with me for the rest of my days oh yeah you'll so that's the achievement it. whatever yeah. that is it's a perverse achievement but it's an achievement <laughs> right so yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's funny, too, that you think about that. Like, you'll probably remember Lines from the Room more than you will a movie that you really, really liked four or five years ago. 
Because it's just Possibly. been that long. Possibly, and you, yeah. ha- you haven't seen it forever. And you know, so to me, that actually brings my my main point in all this um, that I want to bring up was the fact that, like, you know, times change, and so too do we. And and what we see in movies changes. Like, I, I don't know about you. I'm a person who really rewatches a whole lot of movies. I've there's yeah. there's movies that I've seen probably hundreds of times, for better or worse. And part of it is too because I have this aversion to novelty with movies when I, where I'm like. I just don't want to be disappointed, and I'm scared that if the if if cinema and I think I just need to take more 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 movie cues from you. But when I look at the movies that I can think of and that I have access to, it's like a minesweeper game, except like eighty percent of the squares <laughs> are mines, and there's that twenty percent that aren't, and you're just like, oh god, the chances of me hitting a dud. So it's almost to the point where like these days my movie watching habits are like i purposely go to watch movies that i know are going to be absolutely terrible um just as an example i was on amazon prime the other day and i saw a movie called oh god what was it called its name was literally in it it was like i think it was called orgy or orgy party or something like that it's it's it has a bunch of like B-grade comedians Oh, oh go, good old-fashioned orgy. Good old-fashioned orgy, yes. Yeah, with the guy okay. from uh, Meet the Millers. I, I always forget his... I don't forget what his name is. I get him confused with the guy who plays Andy Bernard in The Office. He's To me, he's like an Ed Helms lookalike who never got as popular, but he has a couple movies under his belt with We Are the Millers and... Um, I can't think of his name. Anyway. We Are the Millers. Isn't that Jason Bateman? No, no. Okay, hold on. I'm just going to Google this real quick. Um, we are the Millers. That's the one where um, they, they're smuggling the drugs. Oh, the uh, comedy. Sudeikis. Yes, something Sudeikis. J- Jason Sudeikis. Jason Sudeikis. Okay, it's him and a bunch of other like B grade comedians. Yeah. And the storyline is that they're gonna have a part, one last party. I, and it's gonna I've be seen an orgy. this film. I've yes. seen this film. And it's it's exactly what you would expect. It is not a good film. It's 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 crappy. But but you know what? I want to almost amend what you're saying because yeah. you're making it sound almost like you're some kind of sadomasochist, whereas <laughs> you're not. It's just I think we grew up from a time where there's a certain sort of film that that's in in the comfort mold, right? Yes. It, it's like like it's basically like your sex comedy, right? Yes. It's very com- when you when you when you were a teenager growing up in you know late eighties, nineties, etc. Or even early two thousands, there's this wave of, of teen sex comedies. And yeah, it was we, huge. Yeah, so we grew up on that, and so it's kind of like comfort food, even if it's garbage. And so that's a little bit different. Right? Yeah, and, and and there is a little bit of that, but it's also like you just look at it and you just know that it's not gonna be great. And and to be fair, this one I don't think it's made for the for the the teen market in a lot of ways because they all seem very old in the movie and it's like yeah, it's yeah. almost like it's this more like a last like, hurrah kind of yeah thing, it's yeah. like it's like these are a bunch of people who failed to launch these are like these are the millennials this is us basically if you listen to the last podcast that we did about work life balance <laughs> 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 go check that one out to find out how our lives are um, but, but you know and again I watch this because it's it's something that's like safe I think it's, it's going to be disappointing but not horribly disappointing and um and I just think about, you know, the movies are not the same as the movies were to you back in the day. And I think that's something that's very interesting about the movie medium because I, I don't know about you. I've had favorite movies. When I was yeah. a kid, I've always had favorite movies. And I still do. I, I still definitely do. I, I still do, but I find that my favorite movies have changed. So And, and it's so funny how they change with, like, as I grew up. Like, obvious. It's, it's like, it's, when I think about my favorite movies, it's like, it's almost cliche. It's like, I am a movie cliche. Don't even... 
I'm not a person. I'm definitely coded into the matrix because like, you know, <laughs> I'm 16, 17. I love Dazed and Confused. Then in like my early 20s, Into the Wild was my favorite movie. Although with Into the Wild, I did read the books, including I read the John Krakauer book. I did a ton of research into it. And I read his sister actually released a book to talk more about their backstory. Right. Holy crap, that's dark. Yeah. Man, that's dark. I've heard. But, um, so I was kind of obsessed with that. But still, it's like that was my favorite movie mm-hmm. in my early 20s. What a surprise. It's like, oh, did you also read Ayn Rand at that time? Yes, I did. How did you know? Because you're a man. <laughs> you're in your early 20s. Like, uh-huh. That's, uh-huh. that's it. But, um, but yeah, I think there's a difficulty there in speaking about movies in some ways. Because I think for you, you're at the point where like you have a very... Of, not evolved, but like a very refined movie taste from having watched so many. And I think for a lot of people, that changing relationship with cinema and movies really plays a part in how much people are willing to explore. Because again, like for me, I went for the safe sex comedy when I had time to watch a movie. Right. Because I'm looking at these dramas and I'm like, oh man, like what if it's boring? And I just waste, I get in, I get 45 minutes in and I'm like, shoot me now, I don't want to watch the rest of this. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting thing. It's like, it's like understanding that, you know, you, I, and I love the attitude that you have where it's like, it's not, it's not just, it's, it's excitement, but it's more than excitement. It's excitement and open-mindedness that I think a lot of us have lost. And I think a lot of us have lost it because we're so jaded from the cinema cycle and what's on streaming services. And we're not looking deep. We're not scratching underneath the surface. You know, like, like you said, Parasite. Parasite under... Like, there's been movies like Parasite that came out of Korea and other places. They never make it to our, like, yeah. uh, our, our um, to the average movie viewer. You know what I mean? That was, I don't know who, I feel like it was a concerted effort in the last little bit to kind of, like, you know, make Hollywood more um, let's diverse. Give it, diverse, exactly. I feel but, like but it was almost. Also, that director, Bong Joon Ho, had, had done American been, movies, right? He, he'd been making his way up because. Um, I think his last film before that was Snowpiercer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that came out on Netflix. That had yeah. Tilda Swinton. That had Chris Evans. Yeah. It, was like a, it was a hybrid film of Korea and, and, and Hollywood, right? Yeah. So um, he'd kind of broken through after putting in the work for a decade and a half prior. Yeah, so, no, 100%. Yeah. He did, yeah. Um, but there are, yeah, you're absolutely right. There are other fantastic Korean directors who nobody's heard of. Yeah. Um, but... but I suppose, um, well, actually, I, w- I should say, taking a step back, I'm glad that you at least see that, like, yeah, I'm still excited about this. This is not... <laughs> oh, it's huge. It's very obvious the way that you talk about it. And, and, and it's admirable, too, because, man, again, like I said, so many of us are jaded with this stuff. Well, the only reason I'm saying that is, is because I don't want this to come across as just, you know, do your homework and watch good stuff. Like, it's mm-hmm. not that at all. If anything, I'm as excited about movies as I've ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you have to... I, I watch more, and maybe that means I also like come across some films that I don't enjoy that much. But that's... It's just kind of part of the process, part of the film education almost. I almost... watch. I don't ever watch anything... Or I shouldn't say ever, but more, far more often than not, even if I haven't enjoyed the film, I've taken something away from the film. Mm-hmm. And then... It'll be cool because once you watch enough stuff, you'll have watched a film that came out in the 1940s and then you'll watch a film that came out in 2020 and you'll realize how one influenced the other. I'll give you an example. 
Um, in this case, it's the wrong way around because I watched a newer film first. But mm. anyway, I watched La La Land however long ago. Really, really, really liked it. thought it was mm. a gr- great uh, musical. And then, literally, I finished watching this film earlier today. I watched The Umbrellas of uh, Cherbourg. I know I'm Americanizing a French mm. <laughs> uh, place, but... Uh, Cherbourg. Exactly. properly. We're Canadian. Yeah. You should know this. Uh, <laughs> an immigrant so I'm not quite there <laughs> but um, and, and yeah it became very clear to me um, that this probably had some influence on La La Land mm-hmm. I checked once I was done on Wikipedia and Damien uh, Chazelle uh, the director of La La Land said it was a huge influence uh, this, uh, the Umbrellas of, Sh- of Cherbourg was a huge influence on La La Land mm-hmm that's there's something there's additional fun in that where you can literally see cinema interacting with itself over the decades of what influenced that's what huge. that's and, 80 years of, of 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 time difference well so in the, let, let, let me uh just just so i'm not misleading the audience this film came out i think uh early 60s so not okay 40s, well, still but, but still like a 60 year yeah, span 60 so. year span is still huge yeah so so the, the the more you watch, even when you're watching stuff that you don't necessarily love, like there's always you can always take it as a form of just education about the medium, and and so, um, but yeah, the excitement is definitely still there, and I, I want to get that across. Like, if you go through film and you watch, you know, all across the globe, and you go through the film festivals and all this kind of stuff. It's not like some big chore. It's still you're constantly being surprised and you're constantly like falling or re-falling in love with film again because you're like, oh, wow, I didn't even think you could do that, but they did that. So, yeah, it's it's dis- it's, it's almost like you can completely remove it again from the, the domain of film or art. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, jo- Jocko Willink has that a saying of like discipline equals freedom. <laughs> <laughs> so this this is a bit of that of like, yeah, in every that's true of every domain. Like we said, like putting in work is is useful in anything, mm-hmm. and like yeah, discipline is, is is useful in anything. And then after a while, it's just part of your life. It's not a big deal. Yeah. It's, it's not. I'm like I'm not, I'm not like um, struggling through. Like okay, let me force another like thing. You know, did this film upon myself? It's like oh no, this is just now what I what I do, and it's nice. But okay, yeah, you just let the interest like drag you there. Because I've done the same thing. You look, you watch something or you read something, then you've got to look it up on Wikipedia. you got to do research around it. So, Yeah, in, in that sense, it, it, uh, I should just say general curiosity about whatever you're doing is typically makes the process more meaningful and rewarding because um, you realize that almost anything that you watch or consume or you learn about has its tendrils in other places. And then it, mm-hmm. the more you... The, the more something that, that, that you value is not within a silo, I think the better, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if you're studying philosophy and you only think philosophically within philosophy class, that's not great. But if suddenly you're seeing philosophy everywhere in the moral domain, in, in, in terms of who we are and what we're doing here, then suddenly it's like, wow, philosophy is this great key unlocking the secrets of life almost or the questions of life Mm -hmm. and the same thing is true of like if you just watch it read a book and then the book dies the second it's finished that's kind of sad 
Whereas if you read the book and you're still engaging with it, then you're thinking about your own life and how you interact with others, then it's a really, really valuable thing. So I'm not sure uh, if I have any clear point there, but yeah, it's, it's like you said, you want to research stuff sometimes when you watch something important to you. I think mm -hmm. taking that approach to anything meaningful in your life uh, will just br bring in greater pleasure um, as you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, any, any kind of final thoughts? I don't this? think we need final thoughts for this one. I think we already, <laughs> I think, I think we've got to stop here before we do six more hours, <laughs> but I uh, definitely something we're going to revisit. And, uh, I think you said it best, man. It, it, discipline equals freedom when it comes to watching <laughs> movies. Get disciplined. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and not, and also again, broadly applicable and a takeaway from just about any episode but yeah, be if you actually do want to get a greater appreciation of film, like if, if anything that we've said in this past hour or so ha has inspired you, don't feel like it's some daunting thing that, that like, you know, you don't know where to start or whatever. It's actually pretty easy. It's literally go on Google. Yeah, this, this is a great, <laughs> no, because this is a great thing. You're not, you're not out there, you know, floundering in the dark. You. Mm -hmm. search top 100 films voted by critics and you know there'll be the AFI and the BFI and the BBC it doesn't matter pick a poll by you know well-regarded critics mm -hmm. great films of the past century great foreign films of the past century best films of the 21st century it's so easy and just go through the list it's, yeah. it's that simple or search great film movements and go through the movements or great auteurs or great anything to do with film but you know pick, yeah pick whatever you want and, and go with it so it's not like some daunting thing but um yeah i think that's my only kind of major takeaway because they really what <laughs> in some ways this was a bit of a frivolous topic not frivolous but you know what i mean a bit bit more lighthearted, a bit more of like a this is a fun one you know like and and but there's something to be said you know that like you need to engage with art too in life it's one of the sweet things that we get, you know? Yeah. We're not living in caves anymore, so enjoy yeah. this while you have it. Yeah, I mean, watch whatever you want. Don't feel guilty for anything that you watch, um, except the Transformers films. Yeah, feel bad about those. Feel bad about those. Some of the Hobbit films, too. <laughs> Man, there's a lot I could go through. Let's just wrap it yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Let, uh, all right, all right. All right, guys. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Life's Difficult. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you give us a positive rating or view wherever you're listening to this and share this podcast with others. If you think, if you can think of a friend who might appreciate whatever, whatever wisdom or lack of wisdom we imparted in this episode, share it with them or a family member. Um, otherwise, take care and we'll see you next week for another episode of Life's Difficult.